Want more of the Josh Scanlon podcast? Please. Please. Here you go. The Josh Scanlon podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Josh Scanlon podcast. This episode first appeared as a video on my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash heritage wealth planning. I hope you find it informative. Thanks. Welcome, my friends, to another edition of the Heritage Wealth Planning YouTube channel. Today, we're going to do part two of how to save taxes under the new tax bill. And so what I want to bring up to you again is I'm just going to show you the uh, 1040. The, again, it's from 2017, so it's not going to be specific to 2018, but still a lot of same stuff is applicable to the line items and the numbers and stuff like that. So, so what we normally do on uh, when we're looking at tax forms is first and foremost, you're going to look at wages, salaries, and tips, which is line seven. And that's fine. Not, if you're self-employed, you can do a lot around that in terms of writing various things off. And I'm, I'm not getting into that. If you're a W-2 employee, even a 1099 employee, you could be self-employed, but mostly if you're a W-2 employee, this is what it is. There's not much you can do about that. Um, you just pay tax on These are the two numbers I want to talk about here, though. Well, actually, four. All right, so we got taxable interest, tax-exempt interest, ordinary dividends, and qualified dividends. So we got 8A, B, 9A, 9B. Taxable interest is all the income you get from your CDs, a government bond, a corporate bond, anything you just get that, I mean, for interest that you get. Literally, I'm trying to think what else. Bonds, uh, corporate government, CDs. I'm probably thinking about something. I just can't think about it off the top of my head. But that's will show up in this line right here. And that's 100% taxable to you as ordinary income. Tax-exempt interest is just municipal bonds. So you have the you know, Commonwealth of Virginia hospital bond that you get you know, $2,000 a year on. That's going to show up right there. Real quick, remember, tax-exempt interest goes in your modified adjusted gross income. So remember, anything that is derived from MAGI, modified adjusted gross income, this will play a role in that. And the first thing that jumps out to me is your Medicare B and D premiums, your modified adjusted gross income on top of your social security as well. So remember, if you're not retired and not taking Medicare now, not taking social security, it's, it's relevant uh, in terms of that. But if you are retired and taking Medicare and social security, uh, we wanna look at this in particularly the maybe 63 to 64 years old, if you're taking or about to take social security and or Medicare, Part B and Part D, we really want to look at that simply because that is how they determine your premiums on Medicare Part B and D. So we, we want to look at tax and interest if uh, Social Security, I got ink on my hands. I was changing the stupid printer. So if you're wondering why I was looking down, I was looking at the ink in my hand. Uh, printers. Uh. Anyway. All right. So ordinary dividends. Um, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of an example. I mean, real estate, I, I don't, uh, REITs might be ordinary dividends. I, I don't know that for sure. Uh, I think they might be, but there are some dividends that are considered ordinary, which are not taxed as favorably as qualified dividends. All right, so qualified dividends, even though they have this line item here, they still go to the bottom line of your just as gross income, line 37 here on the tax form right there. All right, so it's still going to go flow down to line 37, which is your AGI. AGI is just the amount of money that you've received adjusted gross 
before you take your deductions. That's all it is. AGI is the amount you have of income before you take your deductions. So we want to be very, very conscious of these numbers right here. And you can find these on Schedule B. So Schedule B. So let's look at Schedule B. It's an ordinary dividends and it will be qualified as well. But anyway, so you're going to have this list of ordinary dividends. You're going to see your interest income. So basically, it's just going to line up, line item, line item, line item, by line item. It'll give you an amount. All right. So add the total amounts here from it and on 1040 and then put it right there. Add the total amounts, enter the total amount here and on uh, 1040A or form 1040 line 9A. So we talk about ordinary dividends. I'll go there. Your taxable interest, add the lines right here uh, and put on four, line 8A of your 1040. Okay, so that's what Schedule B is. That's what we'll find for Schedule B. Now, you'll get a 1099 that says qualified dividends, and that'll break down your ordinary dividends versus your qualified dividends. Your qualified dividends are taxed much, much more favorably than ordinary dividends. So on your 1099, I'll say explicitly, you have $20,000 of dividends, of which $18,000 was qualified, and just go ahead and dump that in 9B. That's it. Uh, 8A and 9A are what we just saw from Schedule B. Your 1099, if you have qualified dividends, will show up right here in 9B. So that's what happens. So I want to explain real quickly what we can do with this. So a couple of things. If you have taxable interest, and you have bonds, and that means you have bonds or CDs. We want to minimize taxable interest the best that we can. And how we do that is exactly is what we do is we want to take your taxable interest, your bond, just use bonds for example, and we want to put those into your traditional IRA. Because what happens is you're paying ordinary income on your taxable interest which right now, if you're working, is going to be most likely the highest tax bracket you'll ever have until your surviving spouse dies. So we want to remove this 100%, and we want to make that taxable interest where you don't have any. Now, if you need the cash, that's one thing. But if you don't need the cash, we don't want you to get anything on taxable interest. So we want to take your bonds that you're receiving taxable interest or your CDs, and we want to put those inside your traditional IRA. Because your traditional IRA is tax deferred, but distributions will come out as ordinary income. So you're basically saying, I don't want the money today to pay ordinary income tax. I want the money in the future in which I'm going to pay ordinary tax in the future anyway. All we're deferring is we're deferring the ordinary income tax. We're not stopping it at all, but we're deferring it. Now, that, that's a wonderful move, and you should do that without question. You should do that. Now, people say all the time, well, what happens to the money I have? And my CDs, what do I replace that with? And, and I, I will say to him, blue in the face, always have some cash reserve in cash. Now, if you have some cash, and that's what's driving your taxable interest, your, your banking account, your checking account, or something like that, well, I don't, that's fine. I don't, you're not going to get much of anything in that regard. So if it's a couple hundred bucks, I'm not going to argue with that. But if you start getting the fives and six thousand dollars of taxable interest, well, we have a problem because that simply means you have too much ordinary income being derived from you from bonds and, and, and lots of CDs. And we don't want that at all. We want to move that asset into an IRA so you don't have to receive any inter in interest income from it that's taxed as ordinary income. Make sense? So remember, first priority, 
We look, do we have a 1099? Yes. Schedule B? Yes. Is it ordinary income or taxable interest? Yes. Well, no, but I'm scheduled from line 8A. Do we need that taxable interest to live on? No. Okay, we're probably paying too much in taxes, first and foremost, because if we're a W-2 employee, and this up here is above, I mean, you can be, if you're W-2 and it's above 100,000, we'll just use $100,000, anything you get here is going to be taxed at 22%, if not higher. It depends on what your income bracket is. Uh, we'd rather avoid that. We don't want that to happen. So we want your taxable interest to be zero to the extent that we can, other than what you have in savings and checking and small amounts. And what we want to do is we want your bonds and your CDs to be replaced inside your non-qualified account, your taxable account, which is what it is here, and put inside a traditional IRA. All right, so now I know it's going to be kind of confusing, but just hear me out. Now, if you have tax-exempt interest, that's even another opportunity. We don't want you to have any tax-exempt interest, frankly. We don't. We'd much, when I say we, it's me, <laughs> we'd much, 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 much rather have you have corporate bonds because they yield more than municipal bonds. So we'd much rather replace any uh, tax-exempt interest with taxable interest as ordinary income, but in your IRA. So hear me out. So we have $50,000 of municipal bonds. We have $50,000 of corporate bonds, all right? So $50,000 what takes, uh, let me get my trusty calculator here. Municipal bonds, municipal bonds probably paying you two and a half. So $50,000, divided by 0.025. It's gonna take you, was that 2 million bucks? Hold on just a second, times 2.5%. Yeah, so it'll take you $2 million to have $50,000 of tax-exempt interest um, simply because municipal bonds yield a whole lot less than corporate bonds because municipal bonds are tax-free and a little bit safer too. But let's just say you have $50,000 of corporate bond interest. It would only take you, we're going to say it's 4%. It only take $1.25 million of corporate bonds to yield the same amount as it would for municipal bonds. The reason being is because the yields on municipal bonds are significantly lower than the yields on corporate bonds because municipal bonds give you tax exempt interest. And because you don't pay tax on that, that means they can have a lower yield to you. So just again, let me tell you, if we need $50,000 of, of tax exempt interest, we need $2 million in municipal bonds. And if you need $5,000 of tax-exempt interest, you need $200,000 in municipal bonds. If we need $50,000 of, of income or of, of uh, interest from a corporate bond, we need $1.25 million. Is kind of getting that? So we need a significant more amount in municipal bonds to get the $50,000 that a corporate bond could give us for $1.25. A million. So that's and the reason being because that fifty thousand in your corporate bond will be taxed as income, and so you're going to pay tax on that fifty thousand bucks, whatever your tax bracket is. But here's the issue: we don't want any of that. We don't want any of that inside in, in a taxable account where you have anything flowing back to your tax return. We don't want that to happen. We want you to have no income whatsoever from either municipal bonds or corporate bonds because we want you to have all of your interest income from CDs, municipal bonds, and or corporate bonds that come from corporate bonds because they pay more, significantly more. 
but we want to put that again into a traditional IRA. So this is a two-step thing. I, I tell people all the time. If you have taxable interest, that is interest you're going to pay your ordinary income on. We don't want that. We want to move those bonds into your IRA because you're going to pay ordinary income on those distributions from your IRA anyway. We might as well just put it in your IRA, push it out, push it out, push it out as long as we can. Two, if we have tax-exempt interest, that means we're sacrificing yield because the municipal bonds don't yield as much. They don't yield as much as corporate bonds. So essentially what we're doing is we're saying we'll take less yields for the benefit of tax free. And a bunch of things jump out at me on that is, hey, what if you're in a low tax bracket as it is? Tax free doesn't do you any good if you're in a 12 percent tax bracket, even if you're really in a 22 percent tax bracket. Tax free is not worth it. Taxable is better for you in a net after tax result. It just is. If you look at after tax income, most likely if you're in a lower three tax brackets, 10, 12, and 22, you're going to want a taxable bond 90 times out of 100 relative to the missile bond because all that matters is the money you make after taxes. And after you factor in taxes, the taxable bond will give you more yield most likely. So we want to eliminate the tax-exempt bonds as much as we can if you're in those three brackets because they're just not, they're not efficient. We want taxable bonds. But if we want taxable bonds, which means we go back to here, that's going to put numbers here on 8A. We don't want that. We want that in IRAs. We don't want income in our tax return if we don't need it. We don't. We don't want it. So a couple of things. I know this is complex and confusing. If you have 8B and you're in the 10, 12, or 22% tax bracket, I would highly encourage you to think again. I would highly encourage you to consider moving those tax exempt bonds to corporate bonds simply or government bonds simply because you will net more money for your dollar. It's just all there is to it for your dollar invested. Two, if you have tax exempt bonds and you move to corporate bonds, I don't want the corporate bonds in your taxable account. I want them in an IRA. The reason for that is again, because ordinary income, you're going to pay income tax on that anyway. I'd rather have you have ordinary income tax when you start pulling distributions out of your IRA as opposed to paying it right now. All right, so I hope that kind of makes sense. Just look at these two lines here, 8A and 8B. If you have numbers on there, you have some work to do. All right, let's go down here to qualified dividends and ordinary dividends. I'm just going to talk about qualified dividends here. This is an area that, again, if you have W-2 income, and even though qualified dividends are taxed much, much more favorably, uh, than, inc than, than ordinary income, I would still rather you not have any qualified dividends at all and on your 1040, all right? And not, I just don't want you to have it. I would much rather have these dividend stocks, we'll just say GE. So you get 10,000 a year of GE stock that, you know, that pays, uh, gee, I'm just 10,000, we'll just say GE stocks yielding 3%, you get 10,000 a year off that, oops. That means you have $10,000 of GE, and I'm saying it's yielding three. That means you have $333,000 of GE stock, value of GE stock. I don't want that in a taxable account either. Um, I can make a better argument for that in a corporate bond for sure, but I don't want that in a taxable account either. I want that in a Roth IRA. I want that in a Roth IRA for a number of reasons. A couple of things is A, 
there is no taxes on a Roth IRA. Distributions don't just come out as ordinary income. They don't come out as qualified dividend income. They don't come out as income at all. They come out completely, completely tax-free. So the growth in the portfolio plus any interest that you receive is completely tax-free. It doesn't matter. If the distribution comes out of a Roth IRA, as long as you're over 59 and a half and it's been owned for five years, completely tax-free to you, completely. So we want to maximize our Roth IRA. So let's get the most amount of growth we can on the Roth and the growth on the Roth is in things like stocks. GE stock is a perfect place to put into a Roth IRA. Absolutely. A large cap mutual fund, perfect place to put in a Roth IRA. Absolutely. A Roth, remember, not a traditional, a Roth. So what we're doing is we're saying we're going to put most of our fixed income, our bonds, in the traditional IRA because those are deferred and the income that comes out of those IRAs is ordinary income anyway. We're going to put our dividend stocks, our large companies, our REITs, stuff that pays dividends that normally pay tax on. We're going to put that into a Roth IRA for two reasons. One, distributions from a Roth are free and clear of any tax. Two, the growth of these more aggressive holdings, GE stock, for instance, large cap stock. They're going to give you more growth, most likely, than corporate bonds. The growth will grow tax free as well, not only for you, but also to your surviving spouse and also to your heirs. So the growth on stocks will dwarf the growth on, growth on bonds, most likely, who knows, that certainly has in the past. So we want our Roth to be our growth account, our growth, 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 growth. Not aggressive growth necessarily. Our growth accounts, our large cap stocks, dividend paying stocks we want in our Roth, if we have any. If we don't have any, that's fine. Roth can still consume other kinds of stocks, but we want the stocks to be in the, the large cap stocks to be in the Roth. So we don't have anything on a, a or 9A or 9B. We don't want anything on any of these lines while we're still working with a big number at number seven, line item seven. We don't want any because it's just a tax inefficient uh, holding that you have. All right. So we're going to take our GE stock that we have in a taxable account that's yielding us $10,000 a year as dividend income that we're paying 15% on, or maybe even 18.8, or maybe even 28.8, depending on your tax circumstance. And we're going to transition that into a Roth IRA, uh, which will not have any of that stuff on there. Now, you can't just move $333,000 of GE stock to a Roth. You can't do that. So you got to do it over time. Or if you have a traditional IRA over here and, an, and a Roth IRA over here, you start moving from the traditional IRA to the Roth. You know, so you have GE stock in a traditional IRA, you have bonds in your Roth. Don't do that. We switch them. We say we want GE stock in the Roth and we want the bonds in the IRA. Don't want bonds in a, in a Roth IRA. I, for the love of me, that doesn't make any sense at all. People do that all the time. I just don't understand. Roth IRA to be most effective needs to be more aggressive accounts. All right. So at the end of the day, we want to make sure our Roth contains our dividend oriented stocks, large cap stocks. Our traditional IRA contains our bonds. Now, I hear the question. Well, how about my smaller international emerging markets, more aggressive stocks? Where do I put those? Shouldn't those be my Roth? Yes, absolutely. But, 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 but. If you have smaller, more aggressive stocks, ideally, if they don't pay dividends and there's not much in terms of capital gains in there, we'd want those in your taxable account. Now, hear me out for a second. Let's just say of a small cap, a Royce Pennsylvania mutual fund, 
a small cap fund from a long, long time ago, from 1967. It's just done well. I don't know. I literally have no idea what it's done lately, but in the history has done well. Chuck Royce is the founder of the firm, just a good manager, no getting around. I'm not recommending that fund by my, by, please be advised, but just that, use that for example. Been around since 1967. That fund has quadrupled, quadrupled, quintupled, you name, whatever those words are, it's done it. It's grown, it's grown, it's grown, it's grown with minimal dividends, minimal dividends. So because it pays minimal dividends, there is minimal income here on 9B. Minimal, minimal. So that means you don't have hardly any taxable income coming to you. But because it's the growth has been all in capital gain or capital appreciation, you start with 100,000 bucks, it's worth 500,000 now. It's grown four times our original investment. A couple of things happen now. When you sell it, if you were to do that, and I'd tell you to take it out from a traditional IRA first, but just hear me out. When you sell it, it's still taxed as long-term capital gain, which is much more favorable uh, than ordinary income coming from an IRA, all right? Much, much more favorable. Now, not quite as favorable as Roth, because like I just said, Roth comes out tax-free. But if let's just say at $100,000 in the Royce Pennsylvania Mutual Fund, you weren't able to put that money into a Roth for whatever reason. Because don't forget, Roths are still relatively new concepts. It's only been around since 1997 and really only been able to use it since the Pension Protection Act of 2006, where you can really convert a lot of your IRA to it. So you haven't been able to use the Roth to the extent that a lot of people have been able to use traditional IRAs and things of that nature. So Roth... Is while wonderful, it's not nearly as well established as traditional IRAs or just a regular old-fashioned brokerage account. So if you've had that Royce Pennsylvania Mutual Fund in your account and you start with $100,000, it's grown to $500,000, it's not paying you much from a dividend perspective, if anything, actually. So you're not getting any income here, which is good from a tax efficiency. You're not getting anything there. But you're also, if you do decide to sell it, you're going to only sell it at a capital gain rate, which long-term capital gains are 15% if you're in a 22% or higher tax bracket. So you can still use the tax code like I talked about you in yesterday's episode, which I'll link to right there, to your favor to say, I'm going to sell $50,000 of the Royce Pennsylvania Mutual Fund for whatever. I'm going to take a, my family on a trip to, to Rome. Um, but I'm going to keep it so I'm still in that 12% tax bracket so I don't pay any capital gain tax on it whatsoever. All right. So that's one thing where ordinary income, you can't do that. You have no ability to, to use a tax code favorably. You can't. Qualified dividends either. You can't. I mean, to some degree, I suppose you could. I don't really know what you could. Qualified dividends. Yeah, you can't. I mean, you get paid, you get paid. You got to pay tax on that. Now, it's still better than ordinary income, but still, you, there's not much you can do with qualified dividends. With capital gains, appreciated accounts, stocks and stuff like that, you can do a lot there when it comes to tax code, a lot. And a lot of people don't, which is why I say you want your more aggressive stuff in a taxable account. But that's not the only reason. Let's say I have it, my wife and I have $500,000 in a Royce Pennsylvania mutual fund and we started with $100,000. And then we get hit by a proverbial bus and we're both dead. What happens to the account when my kids inherit it? Well, because of the step up and basis rule, they will inherit that $500,000 completely tax free. It's not included in any income tax, no capital gains tax them. I mean, theoretically, it could be included in our estate if we had a, a state well over, well, I don't even know what it is anymore, $13 million. I think they might raise that to, I don't, I don't even know what it is. I haven't been paying attention because I don't know, deal with hardly anybody's affected by the state tax anymore. 
Well, let's just say it's not affected by state tax. I mean, again, it could be, but most likely it won't be. It's not affected by income tax, not affected by dividends, not affected by capital gains because of the step-up basis rules. So we want my kids to inherit that stock if something were to happen to us without any tax consequence whatsoever. And they will, even if my daughter is a radiologist and my son's a major league baseball player, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter their income. They're going to inherit that property without any tax whatsoever. On an IRA, a traditional IRA, when they inherit that property, it's taxed from the first dollar is ordinary income. Ordinary income. So a taxable account is much, much better than a traditional IRA. A Roth is better than all three of these guys, don't get me wrong. So if you had your choice, you certainly want to do a Roth IRA without question. But the Roth has some limits in how much you can actually contribute and that you got to pay tax today in order to put money from your traditional IRA into your Roth. And that can be problematic. So I don't just recommend going out there and doing that. But at the end of the day, a taxable account can be used very, very favorably if it's used correctly. So you can get unlimited appreciation, not quite like a Roth IRA, but in terms of ability to transfer tax free to your heirs, absolutely. In terms of not paying any capital gain tax at all, uh, absolutely. In terms of your ability to manipulate the tax code to your benefit for when you decide to sell some of that account and pay the least amount, if anything, on capital gains, absolutely. So a traditional IRA, a, a, just good old fashioned regular brokerage taxable account works much, much better than a traditional IRA because you can defer, if not right, eliminate any capital gains. And most, you don't have to have any ordinary income in there. You shouldn't, and a dividend income, I mean, if you have a little bit, it's fine, but you can eliminate most of that stuff and it won't be a drag on your turn from taxation perspective. All right, so let me wrap this up. We have three types of accounts. We want to look at your Schedule B and we want to look at your 1040 right here, 1040, oops, right there. And we want to look at line items 8A and 9A and 9B. If we have numbers on there, we really need to revisit what we're doing of our tax strategy. Now, last time I did also talk about line item 13 for capital gains. Uh, if you have business income as well, it, I mean, there's all kinds of things in here. But right now, I'm just talking about 8A, 9A, 8B, 9B. Uh, next time, we'll talk about IRA distributions and pensions. But for right now, that's all I want to talk about is your uh, Schedule B. If we have Schedule B and qualified dividends, that tells me that we're not maximizing the tax code to the best. And what we want to do, and I'll wrap this up, three things. Our traditional IRA, we should not have any tax-exempt interest, first and foremost. Now, yes, is there an exception to the rule? Absolutely, absolutely. By and large, we don't want any tax-exempt interest. We want our traditional IRA to hold our bonds. That doesn't mean you have to have nothing but bonds in your traditional IRA. Don't get me wrong. You can, if you're a 70% stock guy and 30% bonds, well, my goodness, you can have all of your bonds in your traditional IRA, and that still leaves you room for some stocks. That's fine, absolutely. But we don't want uh, municipal bonds. We want corporate and government bonds in our IRA. For heaven's sake, we don't want bonds in our Roth IRA. Again, if you're a 70-30 uh, investor, you, you put those 30% that's in bonds in your traditional IRA, if that makes sense. Everything else goes in your Roth and your taxable account. We want your Roth to consider it to be consisting of anything they have as large cap. Ordinary, not ordinary income, but dividend income, put it in your Roth because we want to turn that dividend income to tax-free income. Uh, for municipal bonds, you want to turn that tax-free income, which is lower, to ordinary income, which is much, much higher by putting in your traditional IRA. 
And lastly, we want to turn any income that you have on this right here on your 1040. We want to minimize that to the extent that we can by having your, your smaller non-income paying accounts or holdings be in a taxable account. So three accounts, traditional IRAs, bonds, Roth IRA, large cap stocks, maybe REITs, real estate investment trust, and three, your taxable account should be smaller, more aggressive companies that don't pay dividends. That's what we want to use a tax code to our benefit. All right, hope this helps. I know it's a lot to consider there, but man, we gotta look at your 1040. I, I ah, You need to look at your 1040. There's tons and tons and tons of stuff on there. And if you're not doing it, you're just paying too much and you're gonna be paying way too much in the future. And you're gonna leave your surviving spouse, like I said, with that tax trap, the widow's tax trap. It's just all there is to it. So. Uh, give me a thumbs up if this is helpful. I do appreciate any comments. Absolutely, comments are helpful, very, very helpful to me. Um, I got a comment yesterday, a lady was saying it's a little bit too complex for some of my stuff, and I get that. Some of the stuff like this is probably complex. Without question, I understand. It doesn't mean you have to do this on your own, my friends. I mean, my goodness, there's financial advisors all over the place. I mean, you can hire me if you want. At the end of the day, I would say, a financial advisor who's not asking about your taxes or not you know, working with you with your CPA or accountant, I, that, that does concern me because taxes are a huge, huge portion of your overall financial situation. A financial, a guy who, or lady who holds themselves as a financial advisor who doesn't look at the taxes uh, just seems to me to be, that that's, that's a big gap. I would highly suggest you consider alternatives. All right. I hope this has been a helpful comment. So don't forget to subscribe, hit the little notification bell. Don't forget to go to the website, heritagewealthplanning.com. My podcast at Josh Scanlon, the Josh Scanlon podcast. And I look forward to seeing you next time on the Heritage Wealth Planning YouTube channel. Thanks guys.